Buonasera, buongiorno, ciao, and welcome to the second edition of The Salento Files. I'm your host, Margot Ferracci, and if you're listening to this, it's probably because I asked you to. Today's edition is about what happens when the worst happens. The story of my worst fears about moving to Ujano being realised and what happened next. Did our world cave in? Was my fear well-founded? And generally, is it a good use of our time to put so much effort into worry? To tell this story, I'll ask you to cast your mind back to Monday, December 19th, 2011. third day after arriving in Ujano and we were off to enrol Charlie in the primary school. We were jet lagged, cold, isolated and the only people in town who didn't have a car. So the fact that we were walking the village streets was not only hard on the tired and cold children but drew strange looks from the locals. Family walking on street usually equals Albanian refugees. But what's with the blonde daughter? We made the decision to live in wild southern Italy, knowing that we were taking our chances with isolation and lifestyle. We knew that there is very little English spoken down here and that it is really notorious for that very Italian problem of dealing with bureaucracies. If there was a scale to describe the various levels of pain involved in dealing with Italian bureaucracies, and if we used methods of self-harm as indicators on that scale, then... I suppose the bureaucracies in northern Italy may be classed at the pain level of grind teeth, while the administrators of southern Italy would increase the pain level to something like slam appendage in car door, repeat. Well, you know, we also decided that we would do everything possible to avoid being involved in Italian bureaucracy. Before booking our trip, I spoke to the local school here in Ujano and explained our situation. Charlie born in June 2006, would be five and a half on our arrival. Children starting primary school in Italy must be six by April of the year that they start. So, by that rule, that would mean that Charlie would miss out on being admitted to primary school and would have to go into the preschool. The problem with this is that when we return to Australia, Charlie will be six and a half and way too old to be commencing primary school. He'll need to go straight into year one in Australia and in such will need a working knowledge of reading and writing. You don't get that working knowledge of reading and writing at preschool. So somehow, I said, we'd need to make an exception for Charlie and get him into primary school immediately. If that didn't happen, the trip was off. No school, no trip. I provided all relevant information, including both children's birth dates, to the school. The school responded that they could certainly accommodate Charlie in the prima classe, which is the first year of primary school, and Eve into the preschool. I checked with other people at the school. They concurred. I was brimming with the confidence that only written evidence in email form can provide, and with that we booked flights and started planning for our December departure. I'd been averaging about three hours sleep a night since we arrived in Italy, and the last night before attending the school was particularly bad. As the only kind of Italian speaker in the family, my job was to get those kids into school and I spent most of the night lying awake thinking of the best words to use and the best way to request what I was after. So, sleepless and on foot, we fronted up at the primary school on that Monday. Well, we fronted up at the primary school and then were sent to another school, 
because they only teach kids at the primary school. They don't enrol kids at the primary school. Fortunately, there was a lovely mother there dropping off her son's forgotten lunch and she offered to take us around to the high school. I was mystified by her stranger's kindness, but I instructed the troops to jump into her Fiat Panda. We used all laps and knees available to us in lieu of actual seats and or seat belts. Signora Lucia Negro, as it turns out, has a family mattress-making business. I know that because she gave me her card, in between saying lots of things I just didn't understand. You can't smile and not enough when you're a foreigner, and I'm starting to think I may employ the same methods once we get back home. Less talk, more teeth. We went to the local secondary school. Here they have innovated to a Steve Jobs-esque level by both teaching and enrolling children in one easy central location. There we met the director, who that very morning was expecting the inspector, which is a tongue twister in English, but easy to say in Italian. The staff were all at sea with the expectation of the inspector, and I was lucky to get any airtime at all. I had to talk quickly and accurately. And very quickly and accurately, I can tell you that I failed on all counts. The director, in full heels, skin-coloured stockings, makeup and rolled hair, denied Charlie entry, saying her hands were tied, he has to be six by the 30th of April and there was nothing she could do. I referred to the emails we had exchanged way back. She said she didn't realise he was six in June and that I should have included Charlie's birth date in those emails. I considered pulling out the printed copies so that she could see that I had, in fact, included Charlie's birth date in those emails and had specifically referred to the June birth date and sought and received confirmation that he would nonetheless be enrolled. She was also incredulous that our children don't speak Italian. What on earth were we thinking bringing them here without the language seemed to be her point. Again, I was keen to point out that most of Sicily, Calabria, and yes, even some of the locals from the Salento arrived in Australian schools in the 1960s without a word of English. The Australian school system took their children and gave them the gift of English while their parents lived out their lives without any. Kids learning a local language via the local school isn't exactly uncharted territory. I thought about showing her the emails and really giving her a checkmate argument but we are in a country town. The advantage of me having grown up in a country town is I know it's important to let key decision makers save face if you are going to be treated well. Word gets around quickly and when you're already a bit different from everyone else, the best thing you can do is show deference and just fit in. With Superintendent Chalmers due any minute, I decided the worst thing I could do was to make her look silly and have her dismiss me altogether. There was a teacher named Arda hovering around who speaks a bit of English. Arda was actually the first contact we made with the school and was the one who gave me the email confirmation that Charlie would be admitted. I think she realised her mistake and she carried some blame for the situation. That didn't stop her happily chastising me for not including Charlie's birth date on my emails to them and again I let it go, focusing instead on finding a solution to what I called our shared problem. What a bluff that was. Of course, during all this, Mitch was doing his best to control the children and had taken them outside so they could climb amidst the dog poo and the rain on the stairs and trees in the front yard. 
I looked outside and saw him out there, yelling at them to avoid the poo and stay off the road, and I yearned for the sweet simplicity and comforting familiarity of screaming in fury at your children in your mother tongue. In the end, Ada had an idea. We could try the private school down the road in Otranto. This school was explained to me in English as I quote, I don't think it's too bad. The rich families from this area send their children there and they always need more students. A private school needing more students in Australia is so rare that it generally signals either ownership by a cult religion or charges of board embezzlement of school funds pending. This one in Otranto is run by nuns, so there may be some of you listeners who believe it fits into the cult category, depending on what you believe in. I told Ada and the director that we consider our options and be in touch. We left the school and walked home, me stumbling over my bottom lip, Mitch silent and the kids complaining of fatigue and cold. So the worst had happened. This was the thing I had lost sleep about, the thing I had worried about for weeks and the thing I never really got comfortable with, even after receiving the emails from the school when I was still in Australia. It just couldn't be that simple, I knew that, and the stakes were too high to mess it up. Now it had happened. Charlie could not get an education here and we were considering returning home after only three days. Mitch and I held a crisis meeting at which my contribution was crying and claiming we had let Charlie down and that we would have to return home. Mitch has since advised that he felt like crying, although at the time he remained stoic, which is a victory, I believe, for Australian men across the nation. We spoke to our neighbours, Audrey and Davidair. They were equally annoyed. They too had asked the school about Charlie's status on our behalf and received a positive response the same as ours. Audrey is Scottish and considers this type of thing just typical of the locals. Davide is a local and considers this type of thing just typical of the locals. We appreciated his self-awareness. We decided our only option before booking flights home was to try the private school down the road. And we wondered what the fees would be like. We're on a budget here and there's not much room for Sydney-style school fees. Even if they can take him, would we be able to afford it? And would we still be better off cutting our losses and heading home? We decided to give it a try anyway. Out of the goodness of their hearts, Ada, the English-speaking teacher, and Davide, our neighbour, drove Charlie and I to Otranto and took us to the school, acting as translators and general arm twisters. We were advised that this is how we are to address her, and it was astonishing to see that neither she nor her sisters have kicked the habit. Think flying nun, including full headgear, at age 87. And I thought to myself, and they reckon the burka is intimidating. We were seated in her salotto, that is, her sitting room. Euro-posh upholstered furniture, crystal decanter, never used, and a range of depictions of the big man himself adorning the walls. And me and Charlie, with our unbaptized states of sin, both of us, and dirty fingernails, just him. Davide, Ada and La Superiora went back and forth for ages and I could only follow parts of it. La Superiora said she had the same problem as the public school. The 30 April deadline for turning six is a national law and there was nothing she could do. Throughout the conversation, I awarded Davide full points for attacking the problem respectfully from all angles and less than half points to Ada for further confusing the issue. Her attention to detail leaves room for improvement, but she can go and improve that on someone else's time.
Of course, the minutiae of the negotiations are unknown to me. My energies were directed towards Charlie, who is not known for his ability to spend extended periods sitting on expensive furniture, A, in silence, and B, in preserving the fragile items around him. By the time we were on to the subject of may he an exception for the Australian system, as if La Superiora, a pugliese to the hem of her tunic, cares anything about the Australian system... Charlie had created a lasso out of my coat belt and was using it to tether the crystal decanter, the pointy bits of the furniture, and had started eyeing off Superiora's rosary beads. While I managed to end that particular path of activity by providing a diversion involving pen and pad to do some drawing, I could not prevent the ensuing drawing with the same pen on his own body and face. Perhaps reading the vibe of the room and taking a when-in-Rome approach, he managed to draw a crucifix across his forehead and down his nose, all the while staring at La Superiora's gear. We left with Charlie wearing a cross on his face and me cross with him. Davide was hopeful, awaiting a phone call from La Superiora, who said she would consult with other stakeholders and come back to us on what she could do. She didn't actually use the word stakeholders, that's mine, but I did wonder who her consigliere would include. Would a prayer be sent heavenward for immediate response? I had visions of Harry Potter's Hedwig flying back down from the clouds with a handwritten note from Dio himself. There was still no talk of fees. First things first. Two days later, Charlie was officially enrolled in the first class of primary school and Eve in the preschool. Of course, both Mitch and I had to front up at the school today for further interrogation for what it was worth. Mitch even had a shave and wore a collar and I was all decked out as if I was going to work, you know, heels, makeup, hair, the lot. Eve threw a tantrum about having to wear something nice, saying, but I hate wearing something nice. I want to wear what Charlie wears. If I were Charlie, I'd be a little bit offended by that. We ended up going up to meet Charlie's class and his teacher, and he hid behind my dress the whole time. He couldn't understand a word that was going on despite all his lessons back in Australia, and he felt very isolated. The kids were actually beautiful to him, and the teachers and nuns could not have been more dedicated and kind. Eve is enrolled in the Girasole, or Sunflower Room, in the preschool, and we went down to meet the children and Sister Geraldina, the 75-year-old nun who runs it. Eve was very shy in the end, but we had her shouting, Mikiyama Eva! My name is Eve, in the end. It turns out the fees are negligible and the kids get three-course hot lunches for three euros a day. I started thinking about enrolling myself. Interestingly, the nuns who run the school are the order of the Maestre Pier Filippini and take a vow of dedication to children's education. For their inspiration on dedication to faith, they draw on the story of the 800 local martyrs who were killed in 1480. The Turks invaded Otranto and sliced the heads off those who refused to denounce their Christianity. The bones and skulls of the martyrs are now framed on the wall in the local cathedral. As such, you can sing your alleluias while looking at dead people. Peace and love. And if that doesn't get the kids back to church, then what will? I reckon we owe the nuns one in recognition of their kindness and support for our children. Baptism of our children may be just around the corner despite what my husband says. Until then, we'll adopt the policy of don't ask, don't tell when it comes to the question of my children's religion and the nuns. And now I know what happens when the worst happens. During the two-day wait between our first visit to La Superiora and finally enrolling the children, I slept soundly and didn't worry a bit. 
the worst had happened and we knew we may soon be heading back to Australia without living out our Salento adventure. And there was nothing more to worry about. So I've decided it's kind of good when the worst happens. See you in two weeks.